0: Hello and welcome to the Big Happy Life podcast. I am so thrilled to be back in front of the microphone again, and I'm sorry the episodes have been so sporadic. But as I say at the beginning of every episode, the goals of this podcast are to help us feel in control, to help us weather the tough stuff, and to help us be great role models for our kids. And when I'm living by those, sometimes I have to put the podcast to one side and just live for mental and physical health and for my family. And of course, with the upside down year we've had this year, I think we all have to be a little bit gentle with ourselves and just figure things out as we go. But right now the kids are back at school, so the planets are aligned for weekly episodes. And if I can figure out batching, then potentially I can keep weekly episodes going even when they're on holiday. But let's see how we go. You may just need to be a little bit patient with me. Okay, so on to this week's episode. It actually ties in quite nicely with what I've just been saying about kind of managing home and work and the podcast and everything else. Because there was a time where not being able to record a podcast used to be one of the things that would keep me awake at night or would make me stress out about small things during the day. To be honest, lots of things could stress me out and quite often still do. But the information I share with you this week is kind of foundational for helping me manage my emotions. So if you're interested in learning about managing emotions, and this is particularly relevant for feeling in control and weathering the tough stuff, then you'll love the next four weeks. Because this episode and the three that are coming up all form part of a mini series about emotions. And in this episode, we explore the difference between emotions and feelings. Now, if you did a survey where you asked a thousand psychologists to answer the question, is there a difference between emotions and feelings? The likelihood is you'd have several hundred saying, absolutely, yes, there's a difference. Several hundred saying, definitely not, they are exactly the same thing, it's all emotion and it all fits together. And then you'd have several hundred saying, "Mm, it's quite difficult to call, so you could argue it either way. If I was writing an academic paper, I would find enough evidence to argue it either way. And I'd be pretty comfortable with either argument, to be completely honest, based on the evidence that's available to us. But I found that thinking about them as separate things gives me a much stronger framework to understand my experiences, to make sense of what's happening to me or inside me, and most importantly, to figure out what I can do to help myself feel better. So the way I look at it is that we're people trying to live our lives in ways that feel fulfilling. Sometimes we can do that with information we can prove in a lab and sometimes we just need to figure out what's practical. So if you're also somebody who can get stuck in your own head and whose experiences can be made to feel worse because of what goes on inside you then I hope you'll find this episode really useful and really interesting. As always I would love to hear from you, I would love your comments so please visit bighappylife.co.uk or bighappylife.blog and share your thoughts. Here we go, let's dive in. This is such a complex topic, and one of the best resources I have found that really helps simplify the understanding of the brain is a book called The Chimp Paradox by Dr. Steve Peters. So, when I think about emotions and feelings, I use the Chimp Paradox and the model that he describes in the book as a base and go from there. So the model is three parts. He talks about the psychological brain, or the psychological mind, and divides it into three parts. The chimp, the human, and the computer. The chimp is the instinctive, emotional part of your brain. It's fast, it can be irrational, it operates below the level of consciousness, and it's way more powerful than the human. The human is the conscious part of the brain. It's logical and measured, it deals in facts and truth, but it's way slower and way weaker than the chimp. And it gets information after the chimp. The computer stores the rules you live by and those rules get programmed in through experiences and they can be programmed in by the chimp or the human. Your beliefs and values and everything you hold dear is stored in the computer. And those rules determine how the chimp will detect threat or reward, what will be deemed right and wrong, good or bad, and same for the human. When it comes to applying meaning and thinking about the experiences, again, all of that will be filtered through the rules that are held within the computer. Now before I tell you about how I use the model to think about emotions and feelings there's one other piece I want to share with you because it's my favorite thing from the chimp paradox and it's where Professor Peters explains that you are the human you are not the chimp but you are responsible for managing the chimp and that idea is really fundamental when it comes to everything we talk about in this episode. So the easiest way I have found to think about emotions and feelings is to say that emotions are the domain of the chimp because they are largely subconscious and reactive. Feelings, on the other hand, are conscious. They have a thought element attached to them and that makes them the domain of the human. So what I'll do is look at emotions first, what they are and how they work, then do the same for feelings and then we'll put the whole thing together to figure out what to do with it. First, emotions. Your brain has one job, and it is to keep you alive. And emotions are part of the way it does that. Emotions are hardwired subconscious reactions, and they have both a brain and a body component. In other words, when you have a particular emotion, it will stimulate your brain in particular ways and will stimulate your body in particular ways. And they are meant to do that because they are helping you react to threats and rewards. Now the theory goes that we evolved these emotions because of the survival benefit that they held for us. So if you think the people who were fearful enough to run away from the big animal with the long teeth, they survived. The people who were disgusted by the smell of the rotten meat and the maggots crawling around in it, they didn't eat it and they survived. The people who experienced the reward of finding a mate, they mated. And they not only survived, they reproduced. Of course, that's grossly oversimplified, but you get the idea. So for the system to work as it should, to have survival benefit, threats or rewards must be detected. And then the body and brain must respond accordingly to manage the threat or take advantage of the reward. So basically, the job of an emotion is to make mental and physical changes so that your instincts make you think and move specifically to manage the threat or reward. And those reactions are hardwired into us and then further shaped by the rules that come from experience and that therefore end up programmed into our computer. We have little or no control over the physical and mental responses that come with our emotions. That's not to say we have little or no control over what we do when those emotions arise. But if you think about if you were really scared and you started to shake or your heart starts to beat faster or you start to sweat, those are not things that you can necessarily control. They will naturally happen because they are physical components of that emotion in just the same way as the different areas of your brain that activate when you are in that state are also out of your control. So when I say we have little or no control, what I mean is little or no control over those kind of instinctive functions, brain and body functions that take place hand in hand with the emotions. Those physical and mental reactions are all supposed to happen because your chimp has detected a threat or reward and is leading you to react to that instinctively. Once consciousness gets involved, that's a different story, but let's just stay with emotions for the moment. The physical and mental reactions that go with emotions are considered to be universal, which means they're experienced in very similar ways across cultures. They can also be measured objectively. So if I was doing an experiment in a lab where I wanted to test how angry I could make you as a result of something I was doing, I could stick a whole load of probes on you to measure changes in your brain and body. And from that, I would be able to assess how angry did you get when I did this to you? Ethical approval for such an experiment might be a challenge, but that aside, it's certainly doable. Okay, so to summarize what we know so far, emotions are hardwired, instinctive reactions to threat or reward. They have survival benefit because they tend to move us away from threat to keep us safe and towards reward so we can take advantage of the opportunities available to us. And emotions are believed to have evolved because those who had them tended to take advantage of these rewards and manage these threats appropriately. So the fact that you have these emotions is because you're meant to for your survival. Of course, the environment in which we evolved to have these processes running in the background to keep us safe and alive is very different to the environment in which we live. So they're not always adaptive, experiencing fear, physically, in the same way as you would if a bear was chasing you, isn't really helpful if you're sitting in a meeting or having to give a presentation. Either way, the important thing to recognize about emotions is they're working exactly as they're meant to. They're supposed to kick up, they're meant to be intense, and they are meant to drive you in particular ways. And there's a massive list of things they affect, including attention, memory, perception, heart rate, decision-making, breathing rate, digestion, immune function, blood flow, pupil dilation, saliva production, even getting waste out of your body has an emotional component to it. So the thing to know about emotions is that they exist in the mind and the body, they operate below consciousness, they have an impact on almost every mind and body function and they have a survival role to play. So regardless of what the emotion is, it is there because somewhere in the system, probably based on the rules that are in the computer, your chimp has spotted a threat or a reward and has reacted instantly to it. Now, as I said before, whether or not you react is a different story because once we involve consciousness, we're in the domain of the human. And that's where we come to feelings. Feelings are always conscious, and they exist only in the mind. And they're basically the conscious meaning that we give to our experiences. So where emotions are a subconscious reaction to something based on either a biological survival requirement or some kind of rule that's in your system that says, this is really good, go for it, or this is really bad, do something about it or run, feelings are a conscious interpretation. They have a story, they have a meaning, we can justify them and explain them, and because of that, they are unique and subjective. So remember that experiment I mentioned earlier where I was gonna attach all these probes to you and see how angry I could make you? Well, if the experiment was to see how angry you would report feeling, the results would be far less scientific. Some of you would have the emotional markers of anger and you would say, I was really fuming and I couldn't wait to get out of there. Some of you would have the emotional markers of anger, but actually report feeling tired or tearful because you felt powerless during the experiment. And some of you could have the emotional markers of anger and say you found the whole thing really funny and you felt amused by it. And that's all because the way you will have applied meaning during the experiment will be different. There are hundreds of ways to apply meaning to the experience. So the conscious element of feelings means that we now have the application of thought and we can use descriptions and words and stories to describe the experience we're having. Again, this is all going to be based on rules that exist within the computer. So that's common ground shared by the chimp and the human. But the conscious element of feelings is where we therefore can find the potential for some control. And yes, that sentence was deliberately vague. We don't have full control of our thoughts. So it would be unwise to say, you can totally control your feelings and you can totally control your thoughts. It isn't that simple. And the expectation that we can do that is one of the great sources of dissatisfaction when it comes to living a fulfilling life. We have some control. But if I go back to that chimp-human-computer model, Professor Peters describes the computer as being 20 times faster than the human and the chimp being four times faster than the human. So if the computer can act automatically and the chimp is acting instinctively and you are the slowest, weakest element of the whole system, then sometimes you're going to end up with reactions that have happened before you've been able to catch them, before you've been able to change them. And that can complicate feelings further because what then happens is the story becomes a story about the emotional reaction. So there was the emotion, then there was the reaction, there was what you did, and then there was a story you told yourself about what that meant. It's exhausting, but this is where the power lies. So before I go into well, what do we do with all of this, let me just quickly summarize. Feelings are the way we make sense of emotions, they're the stories we tell ourselves and the meaning we apply, they're conscious and they're the domain of the human. The way we apply meaning is determined by rules existing within the computer. And because they exist only in the mind, they can be less intense, but they can also persist for a lot longer. So that's one last important distinction to make between emotions and feelings. Emotions are rooted in the now. They are specific to the brain and body activation required for whatever threat or reward is present now. Whereas, because feelings have this thought component, thoughts can tend to take you to the past or the future. So you can actually ignite the sense of threat in yourself by taking your mind backwards or forwards in time to a previously lived threat or a perceived threat in the future. And the unfortunate thing is when it comes to the chimp, it detects any threat. Even if that threat exists only in your mind, it will react to it as though it is real. And so what happens is you end up with an emotional response right here, right now for a threat that feels relevant, even though it doesn't physically exist. And that brings me to emotional loops or emotional roller coasters, where we can keep an emotion returning in a loop over and over again as a result of the way we apply meaning. Here's an example. To start with, let me tell you that I have a pretty fiery temper. I'm fairly easy to rile up. And before I had kids, it wasn't that big a deal because it was really reserved for inanimate objects. You know, the printer won't work or my phone won't do something I wanted to do. But when the kids arrived and we were in those early days of the adoption, actually not completely in the early days because in the first sort of three to six months, you're in this honeymoon period where nobody puts a foot wrong and everyone is absolutely lovely myself included. But once we got past that part and the defenses were down a bit, I found it incredibly challenging, particularly with my youngest, who was not even two yet, to manage my emotions. He hated me, didn't want to come anywhere near me, and only wanted his dad. And I was dealing with the sadness of rejection and the fear that I was going to suck at parenting, that I did suck at parenting, and that the reason he wanted nothing to do with me Was because he could tell. You know how people tell you that thing about kids having this instinct about people who are good and people who are not good? Well I had it in my head that he knew he could see something I couldn't see and I was not worthy of being a mom. Okay so let's freeze frame it there and look at which part is emotion and which part is feeling. Remember the emotion is subconscious and has a mental and a physical element. I'd say the two emotions I oscillated between were fear and sadness. And you wanna hear something funny? If you look up, how does fear affect the body, and then look up, how does sadness affect the body, you'll find cortisol and adrenaline in both descriptions. Those are stress hormones. Other markers of fear include increased blood pressure and heart rate because you're getting ready for fight or flight responses. So for somebody who quite easily shows anger, Fear and sadness are excellent precursors for you to lose your shit. But now let's go and look at how I was applying meaning to what was happening. I am a terrible mother and this child's instincts are picking that up. I will never be good at this. So the meaning application and the story that gets applied very nicely creates a loop that feeds the original fear and sadness and keeps it alive, which then creates those markers in the brain and the body. So I'm primed, ready for the next thing that upsets me. I'm full of adrenaline and cortisol. I react with stress. What presents is what looks like anger, but what's underneath is fear and sadness. And in the absence of dealing with those, that anger presented very easily. I would shout when talking would have been a much better thing to do. I would slam the dishwasher door because I was irritated about something one of the kids had done. I'd stomp around or sulk. I remember one night, my daughter had just gone out for her first event with the brownies. She'd only been with the brownies a couple of weeks. She had only just gotten her uniform that day. She went out for this day trip and she was really excited about it. And When she came home, she had lost the hoodie. She arrived home just before we ate dinner. I was setting the table. And we ate dinner in total silence. I didn't say a word to her. The poor kid sat there, head down, silently eating her food, while I stewed, kind of stuck in this, you're doing it wrong. You're making her feel worse. Get over it. Which, of course, pumped more stress hormones, which kept me in that loop. And so the cold shoulder continued. And if it wasn't the cold shoulder, then I'd be, running off to my room and air punching or something. So you can see how on a day-to-day basis, the original negative emotion was fed over and over again, nourished, nurtured, so that it became bigger and stronger. And it became easier and easier for me to hate myself and to buy into that belief that my son knew something about the kind of parent I was and his instincts were correct, that I was a bad person and he should stay away from me. And that was when things started to really go wrong. And that was when... Depression hit, and it took a really, really long time for me to come out the other side. So, the thing with the emotional roller coaster is that if the feelings you have, perpetuate the negativity that keeps the underlying emotion alive, you don't even have to be aware of the underlying emotion for it to then feed the negative feelings, which then feed the underlying emotion, which then feed the negative feelings, and so it goes. And that happened with me for over a year. It was only when I started to shift the conscious element, the feeling element, where I started to make a conscious effort to feel better that I was able to calm down enough to even get a sense of what was going on and secondly calm down enough for that fear to subside for that fear to subside long enough for me to realize that actually in the absence of the fear I'm a pretty good parent that whole bad parent thing was an illusion created by the meaning I had given to an emotion I didn't even know was there. So what do we do with all of that? There are quite a few things that we can do. The first thing is not to demonize emotion. The fact that you feel it makes it important. It has a purpose, it has a value. It may not be obvious, but it's there for a reason. So take the time to figure out what legitimate purpose the emotion is serving. Pay attention also to the physical sensations that accompany emotions. That way you begin to get better at spotting them prior to any conscious thought coming into the mix as well. If you start to notice your stomach tightening or your shoulders tightening or some other physical sensation that you know comes with a particular emotion for you, you can get out ahead of it. The next thing is to become aware of the meaning you apply to particular emotions or behaviors or reactions you have to the emotions. The more accepting and the kinder your thoughts are and the meanings are that you apply, the more understanding and compassionate those meanings are, the more likely it will be that the emotion will pass naturally, quickly and on its own and that you'll return to your natural equilibrium with relative ease. The more judgmental and negative and Debilitating the thoughts are and the meanings are that you apply to the emotions or your behaviors as a result of the emotions, the more likely you are to end up on an emotional roller coaster where you then go back around and back around and back around the negative emotion because you're feeding it from the inside. Now, also under the heading of judgment is resistance. When you resist an emotion, I shouldn't be feeling this, I should be feeling something else, I'm making too big a deal, I'm being ridiculous, all of those kinds of things. Those perpetuate the stress responses that go with threat emotions. So although I used the phrase negative emotions earlier, that's actually wrong. There are just emotions because of detected threat or detected reward. The negativity that we can apply comes in the form of the thoughts that accompany the feelings. So just go back to my case. If I was thinking, okay, well you adopted two kids a few months ago and that's a pretty big freaking deal and a lot is gonna change. So it's quite natural that you would be terrified. How I handle myself will be quite different than when I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm never gonna get this right. I suck at everything. I'm the worst human alive and my kid can tell. Well, that's where the negativity comes in not the fear response itself. So I hope that's given you a sense of how seeing emotions and feelings as different things can give you greater power in situations where you feel out of control or lost or facing some other kind of threat and making yourself feel worse. Over the next few weeks, we explore the topic of emotions and feelings in a bit more depth with a view to giving you more strategies for feeling in control and managing the tough stuff. And I guess to a large extent also, Being a role model for your kids. It certainly has helped me be a better role model for my kids. I am far, far more in control of my emotions than I have been in the past. Although, (laughs) I've got to say, I've got a long way to go. But that's the thing. I can say that with humour and feel a sense of compassion towards myself. To know that I'm a person, I'm doing my best, and I don't always get it right, but... Each time something happens, I can learn from it. And I can also talk to my kids about it so they understand. Because I think modeling self-compassion is probably one of the greatest gifts we can give them. They will really need it when they come to navigate their own threats and rewards in their own lives. And that's the way I'm priming the computer to allow for easier return to calm when things go wrong. So next week, we're talking about using your emotions as a guide. We call it your emotional guidance system, a term I got from Abraham Hicks, which I'll tell you about next week. Then we'll be talking about improving your emotional set point. And that's really about from wherever you are, how do you help yourself feel a little bit better? So when you're really low, how do you take one step towards feeling a bit better? Or when you're kind of neutral and feeling neither good nor bad, how do you take one step into good? And then the final episode in this emotions mini-series is all about using your thoughts and feelings to help you gain a little bit more control of your emotions and how they play out. So that's what you've got coming up over the next three weeks, one episode a week. If you've got any questions or you'd like to know more about any particular aspect of emotions, get in touch via the show notes page, which you can find on bighappylife.blog or bighappylife.co.uk Or if you'd prefer to talk to me in person, go to bighappylife.co.uk and book a discovery call, which will give you half an hour where we can just chat one-to-one. I can answer any questions you've got. And potentially, if those questions may be relevant to other listeners, then I could record future podcasts talking about the answers to those questions. As usual, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in whatever podcast app you're using. But for now, thanks for listening.